three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, we're going to break down the Bears and Eagles game coming up on Sunday, give you a score prediction, and talk about what to expect from the game in just a second. Plus, random interview today with Bruce Miles, a former Cubs beat writer and a baseball Hall of Fame voter. Talk to him extensively about the baseball Hall of Fame ballot, what his ballot might look like, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglou. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportstalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this. It's going to be very hard for me to sugarcoat what will happen to the Bears on Sunday. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to be even a close game or a competitive game. The Eagles are 12 and 1. <laughs> They're the only team in the NFL as of today who's Lynch, a playoff spot. Have an MVP quarterback. Have a great run game. Have a pretty good defense. I don't expect anything from this Bears team on Sunday. So, whatever they do, whether it be good or bad, it won't be that much of a disappointment to me. If they play well and somehow play with Philadelphia, that's going to be a huge win for them and a nice moral victory heading into the final games of the season, but I don't even see that happening here. Philadelphia's defense is seventh in the NFL, giving up only 19.1 points per game, and the best offense in all of football, averaging just about 30 points per game. They've lost only once to the Commanders. They have dominated a lot of the teams they've faced and they've beaten. They're a clear Super Bowl contender. So forgive me if I tell you it may be a blowout, it may be a tough game, and it may be one you may not even finish watching. And this is not a slander of who the Bears are, what they could bring to the table. It's just two very different teams we're going to be facing off. I think Bears fans, though, could take solace in what they see. This could be the Bears and Justin Fields in two or three years. A lot of people compare Hurts to... Fields, and I see it. Jalen Hurts last year was being questioned about his starting status in Philadelphia. This year was supposed to be his last prove-it year for them. If it didn't work out, they were going to kick him to the curb. There were people in Philadelphia calling for him to be benched and or released for them to sign a veteran QB. 
So very similar in the field in that sense, and both of their games are similar. Hurts this season, 3,100 passing yards, 22 touchdowns, 3 picks. But then on the rushing side of things, Hurts has 686 rushing yards and 10 more touchdowns. So a total of 32 touchdowns, 3 picks. 686 rushing yards, going to get nearly 1,000 by the end of the season, and probably 4,000 passing yards. That is something you rarely, if ever, see in the NFL. That's more than generational talent type stuff. This is going to be a unique season for him, and I would hope he builds off it for his own sake. And for Philadelphia's sake, they're a good team, good franchise, good run organization. There's assistant GM Ian Cunningham, came from the Eagles too. So there are some Chicago connections there. But what I'm going to be watching this weekend specifically is what I would hope is a little bit of a tell into the future. I'm hoping I see a future Bears team, a future Justin Fields, when I watch this game this weekend. Yes, the Bears are going to get their ass kicked, and it's going to be very hard to watch. Deflating to talk about on Monday, but if you're looking for any positives, I would say watch this Eagles team. Watch them play. Watch Jalen Hurts dominate. Watch the run game. Miles Sanders do well. He could be in a Bears uniform next year, potentially. Watch how Philadelphia is run. That's my message. Everybody could probably agree this is not going to be a Bears win. No way. Even with Justin Fields playing, even with him, being productive, you could have the game of his life on Sunday. It won't matter. Look at your facing. So if there's anything you want to take away from this game, I would say watch Philadelphia. Watch the Bears because you're a fan, but watch the Eagles if you want to learn about football because this could be the Bears in two years. This could be Justin Fields in two years. And that's the exciting part. When you see teams who've been through it already or now there, you can pick and choose some attributes that they have that the Bears could have. And Philadelphia is a prime example of that. Quarterback who could run, quarterback facing uncertainty from his team, his fan base, his coaches, and GMs. Somebody who turned it around because their coach catered to him, Nick Sirianni. A team with a good run game, effective run game. A couple of different guys were running the football, but mainly one, Miles Sanders. And a team that Key spent money. Bringing in real wide receivers for once. A.J. Brown has been doing amazing for them. Dallas Goddard, too, and Devontae Smith. So the Eagles are, in my opinion, but the Bears could be in two years. Take from that what you will. But when you watch this game, I encourage all of you, don't try to be as disappointed with the end result. It's going to be tough at first. I'm probably going to be guilty of it just as much as anybody else. But watch this team thinking, hmm, can the Bears be this in two years? What have they done that the Bears are currently doing or trying to do? What are they doing now that makes them so successful? And how can the Bears implement that? Watch for that this weekend. Similar to Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts had a lot of issues. Coming in. Uncertainty, no support, no weapons, and a prove-it type season in 2022. And he's proven it, very much so. Fields, kind of the same thing. Question is, will the Bears spend money around him? Will the Bears continue to endorse him? 
Will he continue to improve himself? I think all those answers are going to be yes. So you could see this Bears team beat this Eagles team in two or three years. And that's what makes Sunday encouraging to me. Despite the end result, despite what happens, and we'll break down the game, we'll talk about it, but the real thing is going to be, how similar could this Bears team be to this current Eagles team? How dominant would the Bears be if they could replicate what Philadelphia has done? How excited should we be for the future of this Bears team? All these questions are going to have answers on Sunday. So I encourage you to look for that more than, oh my gosh, they lost, oh my gosh, they're tanking, or oh my gosh, it was just a train wreck of a game. It probably will be. I'm warning you now it's going to be a train wreck. I'm warning you now it's not going to be fun to watch. The one good thing is, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, that's going to be a fun QB battle. Both guys will probably put up decent numbers, although Fields is facing an elite defense. So that'll be intriguing, Aban. I think it'll be fun, but the main thing is, what's Philadelphia today, and how can the Bears become that? That should be your question. That should be your mindset when you enter watching this game. If you're looking for things to complain about, if you're looking for the Bears did this wrong and that wrong, well, you're going to find it, and you're going to be pretty miserable after Sunday. I might be too. I mean, it's going to be tough to watch them get their asses handed to them on Fox. It's not going to be easy. They're going to be streaming. That's going to be tough to watch and tough to control my emotions. But if the Bears lose, they regain that number two spot. And we will understand and learn more about what Ryan Pulse's vision could be by watching Philadelphia play. By watching what they do well. Great defense. Amazing offense. Good quarterback. Good run game. Good wide receivers. The Eagles spent money on. No Robert Quinn. He's on the IR, so don't have to worry about him. And no reunion talk there. This is strictly going to be... What are the Eagles today, and what can the Bears do to become that down the road? You're going to be looking at what the future could hold for Chicago. That's what I think you should take away from this game. As far as the score prediction goes, I'm not going to be generous here. This is going to be very tough for the Bears. I say they lose 38-17. Bears will lose 38-17 to Philadelphia. I mean, they've scored tons of points all season. They just put up 48 last weekend against New York, 35 the week before, and 40 the week before that. Three straight weeks of 35-plus points, and you're facing one of the worst defenses in football. The Bears are going to give up a lot. They may score a little bit. I'm giving them 17. Could be even more. But I don't know how much more or what the Bears are exactly going to do. Anything's possible with Justin Fields being in. I feel like he'll have a decent game running, but again, you're facing a good defense. How will he adjust? And that's something that we could watch for as well. Yes, there could be drops from wide receivers and issues on that end, but how does Justin Fields adjust to a really good defense? First time he's facing a great defense in a couple of weeks, how's he adjust? What's he do? That we can judge and critique and see. If he does not do well against this Philadelphia defense, well, Got to talk about that. That's for sure. I'm hoping for a bounce-back game for him after two weeks ago, but I still think the Bears are not going to come out on top, and believe me, that's okay. This is 
a tank of a season for the Bears. Everybody knows it, I think, at this point. There's no hiding it, no secret. I would just hope that we can glean on something positive on Monday. The Bears could play somewhat valiant football and they lose. We could talk about some of the good things they did. Plus, again, what we could be seeing, what this team could be capable of moving forward. And that's going to be the fun part. What are they capable of doing? What are they going to do? How good will they be in the future? How can they replicate what Philadelphia is today? That's going to be the fun part to watch. And I would hope that the Bears could become the Eagles down the road. Because if so, this team's going to be unstoppable. Especially if Justin Fields at QB. We don't know for sure, but there is a blueprint in place. On Sunday, I'll tell you this much. You will see what the Bears could be as long as Ryan Poles, Ian Cunningham, and company play their cards right and do what they need to do for Justin Fields. That's going to be the key. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Bruce Miles comes up next. So stay tuned. Always uh, great to be on with you, John. Uh, busy times for sure. Hockey, baseball, everything going on. The World Cup, you name it. <laughs> it's great to have you here with me. What have you made of the Blackhawks season? First off, I see you're at the United Center right now. Yes. Um, well, to me, it's going as about as expected. And, uh, and you hate to say it uh, with the, the word tanking, but about as planned. The, they had a four-game winning streak early on in the season, which I think surprised a lot of people. But I think they've come down to earth and, and, and found their level a little bit. They just don't have the firepower to compete with a lot of teams. They don't score a lot of pretty goals ever since DeBrinket was traded. They've got to work for the so-called greasy goals. And they've really been playing without their top two goaltenders, Staylock and Peter Morozik, for much of the season because of injury. So Arvid Soderblom came up from Rockford and done, has done a creditable job, but he's really a guy who should be playing every night in Rockford of the American League. How do you think they fix all of these problems? I assume time is going to be the main factor, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I think that... Uh, they just have to ride it up. The one thing I think they have going in their favor is that the players are responding to coach Luke Richardson. He demands effort. The players give effort. Sometimes that effort is, you know, not enough to, to, to make up for the lack of talent. So uh, I think you'll see a lot as the, the kind of dog days after new years and into February where we're on, uh, we'll see a little bit more about what this team is made of, but you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to be playing for a, a top draft pick and, most fans seem to accept that. What's your gauge on the Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tabes trade rumors, if at all? I know there's been a lot of talk about that even before this season up until today. I think that those will heat up again as the trading deadline um, approaches after the first of the year. I think anything is possible. You could see both of them move. You could see one of them move, or you could see neither of them move because they both have no trade or no movement clauses as they call them in the NHL. So um, I think everything and anything is on the table with that. It would be kind of a shame to see that because of what they've meant to this franchise, three Stanley cups, the, uh, the first rebuild. So, but I think anything and everything is on the table right now, John. Do you think it'd be beneficial for them to make those trades? I mean, long-term, 
Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think maybe for uh, all sides, if Tane, Taves or, and or Kane gets to go play for a Stanley Cup contender, that would help them as well. The Blackhawks are in need of prospects, so I think that you can probably get two or three for each, depending on the team and the circumstance. But I think it would be a benefit to all parties if they were, were to be moved in the right situations. What's your expectation for them for the rest of this year and then heading into the offseason? I mean, are things going to get better between now and then? Well, things will get better in the sense that they may improve their draft position. But I liken this a lot to the Cubs rebuild 2012 through 14. You understand what they're doing. You know why they have to do it. The problem is the games are just dreadful to sit through because you know more than likely it's going to be a loss. In the case of the Blackhawks, they don't score a whole lot. And and it's just, just hard to watch, and it's hard for the people sitting here in the United Center to sit through that. So uh, I, I just think it's going to be more of the same as we go on here. When do you see them being good again? Do you have a gauge on maybe the year or the time or the frame in which they could be competitive? I think they're looking at at least one more rough year in the standings. Uh, after that, we'll see, depending, some of it's luck too, depending where you draft with a lottery and you got to hit the right guy. I mean, again, I'll go back to the Cubs. If the Houston Astros had taken Chris Bryant instead of Mark Appel first in that draft way back when, we'd be talking about a different story with the Cubs. So you have to have a little bit of luck. A lot of it has to be by design, and I just think at least two two more years. Bruce Miles here on Sports Talk Chicago. Bruce, what's your take on this year's Baseball Hall of Fame ballot? Well, I think that we're going to see perhaps no one elected on the BBWAA ballot. The, the closest guy, the closest holdover, whom I will vote for, is Scott Rowland. He needs to jump, um, I think, low double digits. 10, 11, 12 percentage points to get to that 75. Todd Helton is right behind him. There's no real what I would call obvious first timer like you might have had with a big poppy. So I think you may be looking at the BBWAA pitching a shutout this year. Fortunately, Fred McGriff is going to go in from the Modern Era Committee. He was uh, elected just a short time ago. So I think you're looking at a shutout unless a lot of people change their minds and say, hey, we got to vote somebody in. Let's go with Scott Rowland. Is there somebody specifically that you're really going to campaign for support? I don't really campaign. I'm a big ballot guy. I usually go for nine or ten. You can vote for up to ten. You can vote for zero if you want. But I'm a big ballot guy. I'm taking a look this year at uh, uh, Andrew Jones, who I've not voted for in the past. I'm taking another look at him. The so-called steroid guys fell off the ballot last year, and Schilling and Big Poppy was elected. So that opens up some space on my ballot. So I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at him. I'm also looking at Carlos Beltran, who was on the ballot for the first time this year. Certainly Hall of Fame numbers. Will that Houston cheating scandal impact that at all? And there's another guy, guy that interests me quite a bit is K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez. More than 400 saves. How do people view that? 62 saves in one season for a stretch there. He was a pretty dominant closer. So I think in my mind, those are the guys that I'll be looking at very closely. That's a great point about K-Rod. I've heard nobody really mention his name yet, but this is his first year on the ballot. Uh, the only other guy I could see on the ballot comparing to him would be Billy Wagner. You voted for him in the past, too. Do you think K-Rod gets one of your votes? I think so at this point. I haven't made up my mind, but I'm leaning that way. I have voted for Wagner. I saw him a lot against the Cubs when he was with the Houston Astros when they were in the same division. I I really do 
do hope he gets in. I know he's been outspoken lately about, you know, what is it? What do I have to do? I've got the numbers. Uh, Hard-throwing, small left-hander who was dominant for a stretch. So I'd like to see him get in. Who else? Um, well, let me go back to Fred McGriff, actually, because you mentioned him. He got in on the Veterans Committee. You covered Fred McGriff with the Cubs. Uh, but what, what's your take on that? I'm, I'm good. I did not vote for him uh, on the writer's belt. I just didn't see him as the uh, uh, the dominant player that others did. But I'm happy for him. Uh, uh, seemed to be a good guy. And uh, I'm happy to see anybody get in. I'm, uh, you know, welcoming of that. I don't think that there's, you know, people say, well, the Hall of Fame is being diluted. There's too many guys. <laughs> Look at the percentage of the people in the Hall of Fame as to those who have played baseball over the years. So I'm all for anybody who gets in. I'm you know, I'll tell you another guy who's on the ballot that uh, I vote for, and that's Mark Burley from the White Sox. I look at the stats, but I also look at what a guy meant to his city and the team that he played for. That's why I voted for Alan Trammell for all those years. He finally got on with the Veterans Committee. So um, I'm a Burley guy. I uh, saw a lot of him, even though I covered the Cubs. I saw a lot of White Sox games, saw games he pitched against the Cubs. So uh, I vote for him as well. I think that he'll get enough. He'll get at least 5% to stay on the ballot for another year. How have you felt about the Veterans Committee not getting in a lot of those steroid guys this year, having Fred McGriff being the only one? Uh, very interesting. I was watching that one closely. That committee is made up of some Hall of Fame players, including Ryan Sandberg and Lee Smith, a number of executives, including Theo Epstein and Paul Beeston, who was with the Blue Jays when Fred McGriff was there, and I believe three media members, Susan Slusser and a couple of others. I was very, very interested in watching that. To me... A lot of the ex-players are against the steroid guys in any way, shape, or form because they feel that maybe they kept other players, you know, out of a job or whatever. So I was very interested in that. And there's another thing with ex-players. They don't like a whole lot of people in their exclusive little uh, club. That's why, you know, Ron Stano for years had trouble getting in until finally they reconfigured it and he did. So um, I was not at all surprised. I was maybe a little bit surprised that those guys, Bonds and Clemens, got fewer than, say, four or five votes. You've voted for Bonds and Clemens in the past. You've been for Sammy Sosa in the past, too. Do you think they ever all get into the Hall of Fame in some capacity? I think perhaps that Bonds and Clemens do. The interesting thing for me with that whole dynamic was when Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa all went on the ballot in the same year, people talked about those three together and that their votes would be about the same and that that would be a good bellwether. Well, what happened? Bonds and Clemens always had the same amount of votes. So sad, some years barely stayed on the ballot. He nearly fell off the ballot one year. And I think it's because a lot of the voters felt that he was not a Hall of Famer before, if you believe, he went on steroids. And that Bonds and Clemens were Hall of Famers before the whole steroid thing started. So to me, that was the most interesting dynamic of that whole Bonds uh, Sosa Clemens. Whether any of them get in, I think maybe the committee will have, the makeup of the committee will have to change a little bit. Right now, it doesn't look good for any of the three of them. Could that be a similar situation when you talk about Carlos Beltran, a guy who was to some considered a Hall of Famer, then this last year he gets hit with this allegation, with these problems with the Astros? Is that a similar situation to you? I think it is with a you know with a different set of problems. You know, steroids are one thing. Cheating is alleged cheating is another. It did cost him a managerial job. So we'll see what happens. The early vote tracking is is in, but there's way too few public votes known right now to know how that's going. I think he's in the 50 percent 
If you look on the uh, the Twitter site, uh, not Mr. Thibbs, uh, Ryan Thibodeau, who does a nice job of tracking those votes. But that's going to be an interesting one to watch to see how people uh, view that whole alleged cheating thing. He certainly had the numbers in my mind to, to be in, and I'm leaning toward voting for him. How do you compare um, sign stealing to PED use? Well, it's an interesting thing. Sign stealing has been around the game for since the game started. Now, if you're using enhanced methods like garbage cans or electronics to do it, I think that's where the the, um, the line of demarcation is where people said, you know, you can whistle, you can clap your hands or whatever, or stay curveball. And that's one thing that's been part of the game for years. But this, this other stuff is, uh, you know, that's beyond the pale. The PED stuff, um, I think I'd draw the line probably at suspensions or you know if you had a guy dead to rights i mean a rod you you look at him suspensions and he told so many lies that it, it just seemed like he even <laughs> believed all the stuff he was saying and uh so i i think that that's the difference there um i voted for bonds and clemens eventually after bud selig got in because i think that bud selig profited more from the steroid era than anybody. So I got a little bit tired of the pearl clutching over the players when you had a commissioner who was pretty much ramrodded in the Hall of Fame who stood to gain and did gain by the steroid era. I noticed you also voted for Gary Sheffield last year, another guy who mm-hmm. has some purported steroid ties. What do you think about his candidacy this season? I, I think that I'll vote for him again. I'm not sure that he's ever going to get get in or get the bump that he needs. People cite other things. I was talking with another voter uh, today, as a matter of fact, and, you know, he cited Sheffield's defense. Um, there's always the whispers about the, the steroids, as there were about Hall of Famers, Mark Piazza and Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio. So if the, the whisper test doesn't go far enough for me, but I think that there's enough opposition to Sheffield that I, I don't think he'll get in. More to come with Bruce Miles in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Miles still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Bruce, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, the franchise. How'd this happen? Well, uh, the franchise is a book that I have written along with Jesse Rogers of ESPN here in Chicago. Uh, I was approached by Jesse and Triumph Books here in Chicago, and it's a series of essays or features about various aspects of Cubs history, and it's whatever we want it to be. I interviewed about 15 to 20 people. I talk about Sammy Sosa's legacy why Kerry Wood was such a phenom and a phenomenon, the popularity, enduring popularity of the 1969 Cubs. And I even went way back in history and and wrote about Gabby Hartnett's Homer in the Gloman in 1938. The Cubs were kind enough to put me in touch with Gabby's granddaughter. So I interviewed her one day over coffee. So it's just a number of of different topics that uh, Jesse and I have tackled. Um, It satisfied a need in me for history to take another look at history to satisfy my own curiosity and to shed some new light on topics that we thought we knew about. I went back and talked with writers who covered Sammy Sosa with the White Sox. I talked to his former manager, Jim Riggleman. Uh, I talked with uh, former Cubs general manager, Jim Henry, about Aramis Ramirez, because we have a chapter in there about the eternal f- search for a third baseman between Ron <laughs> Sano and Aramis Ramirez. Uh, so it, it kind of, uh, I wanted to shed new light on some old subjects, and satisfy my own historical curiosity. I'm curious, what did you learn about Gabby Hartnett's Homer in the Gloam? And I've read that 
so many times in history books over the years. Did you learn anything different or something that we don't know about it? Well, had that game uh, been called on account of darkness in 1930, it, it would have had to have been replayed in, in its entirety the next day or some other day after that. So there were no suspension rules then. It would have ended as a uh, tie game and would have had to have been replayed. Um, the, the, what really piqued my curiosity or my interest in that is it's unfortunately a forgotten home run in history. We think of Kirk Gibson and Carlton Fisk and Joe Carter and Bill Mazeroski, all these famous home runs. That one rates barely a blip in history. And I think it's a darn shame because it was so important. It didn't win the pennant for the Cubs, but it set them on their way a couple days later to win it. So I, I think it's a, a forgotten home run in history. And just think if there were social media perish the thought in those days. So uh, it's just one of those things that uh, uh, piqued my curiosity. And uh, those are some of the things I kind of got out of it. What was your favorite excerpt or essay or topic to write about in this book? I think it was probably either the Sammy Sosa or the Kerry Wood chapter, simply because I lived both of them. My first year on the Cubs beat was 1998. That was the year of the Sosa McGuire home run chase. That was Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game in his major league debut, and the Cubs won the wild card. So I wanted to tell some stories there and take a narrative approach to some of it of just what was going on that season. So I got to believe that those two, two chapters for me were my favorite simply because I lived them and kind of wanted to relive them again while shedding some new light on it. Bruce, before we finish up today, last question. What's the most memorable moment of Cubs baseball you've witnessed? Well, in person, I always say that my – to me, I always put aside 2016 winning the World Series. That's a special category in and of itself. I mean, there's nothing that will ever match that for anybody who waited to see it and then lived through it. So I set that one aside because it's so obvious. But I've always said that Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game for me is my favorite because he was not quite 21 years old. There were only 15,000 people in the ballpark on a kind of a damp, dank, dreary day. And he was so dominant. I talked with players and they said the ball moved like a wiffle ball. And the only hit of that game was by Ricky Gutierrez, who – joined the Cubs a couple of years later was an infield hit that Kevin Ory, the third baseman, couldn't quite get to. Some people thought it was an error. Well, a, a year or two later, Ricky comes to the Cubs in spring training. That game's on the clubhouse TV. And Ricky walks by and goes, I got a hit off of that. Sorry, so-and-so. So uh, I, I just, there, there's so much about that game. And, and that Kerry um, and I have always had a good relationship. And in 2018, on the 20th anniversary of that game, we sat down and we had a nice talk about it. So, And Kerry says that was a base hit all the way. He and the official score that day since talked, and they, they said, yeah, everything is good. And Kerry said, I agree with what you did. So that game for me is still the best. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, best wishes, of course, covering the Hawks and with this Baseball Hall of Fame vote. And looking forward to always staying in touch and having you on again very soon. Yes, uh, if there's sports, I'm probably around it. Right, talk then with Bruce Miles. That'll do it for us today. You're on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Bruce Miles himself and you for tuning in to today's program. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglou. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. So long, everyone. No! No! Everything turn off!